0: Establishing trust that I respect your money, it really helps to build creative trust as well. If they trust you with their money, they'll trust you with your fun, crazy ideas too.
1: Hi, I'm Kaylin Peterson, the editor in chief of Business of Home. Welcome to Trade Tales. In every episode, I'll be talking to interior designers about everything from nurturing creativity and finding their firm's financial footing to discovering their own version of success. This season, we're also focusing on finding purpose, whether that's in the work you do for clients or your impact on the world at large. My guest today is a designer whose early encounter with a Take Charge client left her project in ruins and almost derailed her firm's growth. The story of her rebound is a masterclass in taking concrete steps to secure your client's trust before it's too late. I can't wait to share it with you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. Great design never sleeps. And that's why High Point Market's social media pages are filled with resources, programming, and news all year round, keeping the interior design community connected. Be sure to follow High Point Market on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn so you never miss the latest and with Fall Market coming up in October, don't forget to pre-register at highpointmarket.org. Universal Furniture hosts another incredible lineup of designer-focused speakers, panels, and seminars this fall at High Point Market. Don't miss your chance to hear from top industry leaders like Melissa Galt, Bria Hamill, and John McLean. Space is limited, so be sure to save your seat today. Registration is open now at universalfurniture.com. Slash market events. Plus, visit the Universal Showroom at 101 South Hamilton Street, October 12th to 18th, to see the company's all new modern offering.
0: I always had an interest and a love for design and architecture. You know, it was something as a kid, you know, I would sketch floor plans and I loved the home TV shows and things like that. But I also had a real interest in the business world. And when I applied to college, I actually applied to architecture schools and business schools. I said, well, if I got into my dream school of Wharton, then that's the the path I
1: would take. And that's what I did. That's Courtney McLeod. After college, she found success in private equity and spent 15 years in the industry. Still, she couldn't quite shake her early dreams of design. Towards
0: the end of that career, I I really felt the desire to take that other path. I just loved to decorate my own spaces. And I live in New York City, and I would literally move every two years just so I could decorate a new apartment, (laughs) which is insane. (laughs) Was approaching 40. And I said, you know, now's the time to, to pursue that. And, you know, I, I didn't really have a plan. I just I left my old job. And as soon as I did, though, I felt zero doubt. You know, as soon as I made that leap, I just I knew I was on the right path.
1: Courtney enrolled in design classes, expecting to land an internship with a firm to kick off her second career. Then a move uptown took her journey in an unexpected new direction.
0: I moved up to Harlem into a smaller apartment, and you know, I said, "Well, I'm going to decorate this, you know, in a really cute way. It'll, I'll shoot it, you know. I'll, I'll have a little bit of a portfolio." And I was selling some furniture out of that apartment, and a woman came and to look at some chairs, and she thought the apartment was, you know, really adorable. And you know, we got to chatting, and and I said, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm making this change," and she said, "Well, you know, would you maybe help me?" And I thought, "Well, okay, you know, you're buying my old chairs, but." You know, sure, why not? It turned out she had a beautiful apartment down near Washington Square Park, and she was my first client. It was a wonderful, wonderful learning experience. And it was the moment where I said, okay, you know what? Maybe I
1: can do this really on my own. In 2012, Courtney launched her own firm called Right Needs Left Interior Design in a nod to her ability to blend creativity with a process-oriented approach. I wanted to talk to her about how her first show house experience provided her business with an unexpected lifeline, why she always asks clients to define what a successful project will mean to them, and how she's finding purpose, creating opportunities for the industry's underrepresented groups. What did your process look like when you think back to that first job? How did you approach the the sourcing, the shopping, the styling, you know, working with a client? Where did you look to to sort of understand what that relationship should be like? I realized very early
0: on, you know, the importance of being able to really clearly articulate your vision and your ideas and to really understand how to execute them. Uh, and that's, that's the challenge, especially in the beginning, because, you know, you don't have all of the resources lined up. You don't have a deep knowledge of all of the the vendors that are available. And so, you know, I really use those first few projects to, to build that part of it. But from the, the very beginning, you know, and I think that this is a benefit of my, my previous career, you know, that I'm good at communicating uh, my ideas. I'm good at Maybe convincing people that they're good <laughs> ideas, <laughs> um, you know. So it's really the presentation skills, the communication skills. Uh, I think really translated, uh, you know, from from my my former life. You know, establishing trust that I respect your money and I'm looking to create value for you. It really helps to build creative trust as well, because if they trust you with their money, they'll trust you with. Your fun, crazy ideas, too.
1: So, (laughs) (laughs) how do you structure the client relationship so that you can build that financial trust at the beginning and gain that creative freedom down the road? Is there sort of a key to unlocking that comfort for the client? So, for me,
0: the very first interaction, the first phone call, we take some time to say, okay, This is our process. We have you know a five-phase process, these are all the steps that we go through. This is how we get to those you know beautiful end results. You know, we say this is what the journey that we're gonna take you on. So the very first touch point, they're hearing that. Then, you know, uh, if it's a larger project, we'll sometimes do you know a site visit and a walkthrough. And then when the contract goes out, and then once they come on as clients. The welcome packet again, here's another summary of the process. (laughs) So, you know, really, we're establishing all the way through pre project that this is what they can expect. And so by the end of phase one, they're like, wow, you know, they've really thought this through, not only creatively, but practically. And that gives them a lot of confidence to, to take the leap and really like jump into design. So, you know, the phase one and, and sort of that pre-signing part, you know, if we do that right, they trust us at the end of phase one. And that's the beginning of the project. So if, if you can build that trust at the start, it makes everything else
1: so much easier as you go <laughs> through. Can you explain what those five phases encompass and how you really structure the, the life cycle of a design job?
0: Sure, sure. It's, it's pretty straightforward. You know, our phase one is concept development. That's where we're coming up with the, the broader design ideas for each space. We're putting together that budget, like I said. We're putting together a project plan. Um, and that really preps us for phase two, which is design development. And that's where we, we take, you know, the, the plans that we've done, the concepts, and we actually put product to it. So that's where we're actually doing specifications. And, you know, we present those to the client. Uh, Hopefully they say, great, let's go. (laughs) And then we head into phase three, which is where we start execution. And that's where we are really jumping into purchasing. And then our phase four uh, tends to run a little bit parallel. It's our renovation phase, our construction management phase. And then phase five is installation and completion, and that's really where everything gets installed, all the final touches are done, um, you know, punch list items are are completed. And then we have, you know, a, a little conversation with the client to make sure that they're happy. Um, and excited. Um, you know, if it's appropriate, we'll you know schedule photography for the project. And it's really to end on a really positive note so that you know hopefully they become a repeat client or they're a great referral source for us. so it's it's a straightforward process.
1: Mm-hmm. How much, you know you mentioned that this process is outlined for clients in so many touch points? Is that just about kind of clarity and defining the process or is it, are there clients who see all of that and then say, well, no, we'd like to do it differently? Yeah.
0: You know, I'm really clear that we have a way of doing things and, you know, through experience, we know that it works. So there, there needs to be a bit of faith in the process. And if they don't like the process, then we're probably not the right firm for them And I think that it took a a long time to get there because it takes a lot of confidence to say that. I think earlier on, you know, I was such a people pleaser, you know, (laughs) I'd say, oh, you guys want to do it this way? Okay. You know, and I realized one day I said, you know, I'm the one driving this bus, you know, they, they've come to us because they want direction.
1: What does it take to sort of have that realization or to make that switch to say like, no, I, I'm going to own this. This is this is my bus. I'm driving the bus and I'm, I'm setting the course here. Oh boy. The
0: hard way. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I, you know, there was one project in particular uh, earlier on and, you know, it was a really big project for me. I was so excited. It was this big loft in in Tribeca, you know, really good sized budget. And, you know, the client was a, a nightmare And, you know, I I really let her kind of bully me and and sort of, you know, lead me around. And, you know, the project, it was a disaster because she didn't know what she was doing and she was driving the bus and, you know, we just were lost. And I didn't have the confidence to say, you know, no, you know, you hired me for a reason the process i have will allow us to enjoy and actually get to our destination and i think failing on that project was a, a huge lesson for me and i realized you know what i i need to to buck up i need to have the strength to say no you know we do it this way or it's the highway
1: <laughs> i love that you use the word failure because i feel like so often we skirt around the fact that that's such a part of building a business and getting confident. How did you rebound from something like that, from sort of having a project not work out?
0: It's one of the most heartbreaking and devastating things, I think, for a designer, especially a newer designer. It was tough, but an opportunity presented itself to do uh, my first show house. And, uh, it was in De- Detroit with Aspire magazine. And up to that point, I didn't, I hadn't had the opportunity to really express what I could do creatively, you know, really, really create a space, fully envision the, the way that I would do it. And so I ended up doing uh, this sort of ladies lounge and, and bathroom. It was like the worst space in the house. <laughs> I took it and, you know, it, it, was a fantasy it was it was it was beautiful if I if I may say so myself. Uh, but it was very bold it was fun it was playful but elegant and it was really you know everything that I am or hope to be as a designer and all of the things that came from that really boosted my confidence so much and really, helped reinforce, you know, my faith in myself as a, as a designer. And so, you know, being able to have that experience really, you know, kind of, you know, you know, gave me the push to, to keep going and and to say, okay, you know what, you make mistakes. That's part of the process, but then there's also big successes too. And, you know, I'm going to choose to focus on the
1: success. Would you recommend doing a show house relatively early in your career? What did that bring for you?
0: Oh, it was fantastic. It I it actually I ended up doing like four show houses <laughs> in a year and a half, two years. It was it was kind of crazy. That's wild. Let's talk about that. <laughs> That's expensive too. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, so that, that first Detroit show house, I spent way too much money. It was a true leap of faith again, because I spent way more than I probably should have, but I just had to, to trust in myself, and you know, I ended up getting two clients um, from that directly from the show house. It got published. I mean, I think it was in print maybe four or five times. It was all over the, the internet. Still today, people come to me and say, "Oh, I saw saw that, and that's why I'm calling you." Right. So the return on investment has just been tremendous. I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I've actually been quite lucky. Three of the four show houses I've done have generated clients and, you know, talking to other designers, I think that that's a little bit unusual, but I think doing something like that earlier on, again, it allows you to create something and execute a pure vision. And I think that for your portfolio it's it's really wonderful i think for your confidence level it's really wonderful and i think in terms of developing vendor relationships it can be a really you know great way to do that as well i definitely you know established new relationships with vendors i had never worked with before that you know again to this day are are really you know fundamental to the, to the business so i think that you know it shouldn't be the first thing that you do if you're starting out I think you do need to to have done, you know, a few projects and, and to, to really have a, a keen sense of what your vision as a designer is, and then take advantage of that opportunity to express it and in a public way. And, you know, I, I think it can be of tremendous value.
1: Did the jobs that came from people who saw your work in show houses shift sort of the direction of where you were able to go in your projects then.
0: Absolutely. You know, another thing that it, it really helped was I was fearful to be really honest about who I am as a designer. You know, I am a very particular type of designer. It's colorful, it's pattern play, it's, it's elegant, but it's, it's playful and joyful and fun. And, you know, that's, that's my personality and that's how I design. And, you know, I thought, oh gosh, if I'm really forward with that, I'm going to alienate all those other clients that are looking for, you know, a modern, cool cream on cream interior that would never hire me anyway. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I, you know, and, and doing, doing that first show house, made me realize that it's okay to be really clear about who I am as a designer. And when I made that change, that really was the turning point because my messaging in terms of how I'm marketing myself got very clear. And the types of clients that I started to get became my ideal clients because I was, I was very clear about who I am and they could see that. So and not only clients, also you know vendors, you know, partners and things like that for for um, brand partnerships that that has really helped you know everyone to really understand what they get when they work with me.
1: Be line to Universal Furniture at High Point Market this fall, where you'll discover over a hundred introductions to the brand's modern collection with new pieces for the whole home beautifully displayed in Universal's 115,000 square foot showroom. This is an experience you don't want to miss. And while you're there, visit the designer's lounge for hair touch-ups at the beauty bar, designated designer-only workspaces, and special events throughout fall market. You can sign up online at universalfurniture.com slash market events, and visit the Universal showroom October 12th to 18th at 101 South Hamilton Street. I want to go back to onboarding new clients for a second. You mentioned, you know, this kind of steady stream of meetings, a contract, a welcome packet. How did you build the framework to really bring that client into the process from the beginning?
0: Yeah, it was really trial and error for me. Um, And it was a lot of um, listening to podcasts like this. It was, you know, talking to other designers it was really seeing what a lot of other people were doing and then picking what I thought would work for myself and my firm. And, you know, I would ask clients, you know, I, I would sort of, you know, when we would do it a certain way, I would say, Oh, you know, did you find that helpful? You know, did, did you like this? Did you not like that? And, you know, if, if you have a good, you know, relationship with the client, you know, they'll give you honest, you know, feedback because they want you to succeed. So, I wasn't afraid to, to sort of ask those questions. I think those are the best people to to ultimately ask. And, you know, I'm constantly evaluating and, you know, I may make more changes and, you know, if I see something I think is really cool, I may add it. So I never look at our process as, you know, final. There's always room for evolution. There's always room for improvement. And, you know, I'm not afraid to, to kind of take those, those
1: chances. What does your welcome packet look like today? So it starts with, you know,
0: a little letter, you know, of greeting. And it's just, you know, we're so excited to get started, to work with you. It's going to be a great process, you know, just sort of that intro. And then um, we have our client questionnaire. And it's where we, you know, we're asking those practical questions, you know, who's living in the house, you know, or you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And the last question we ask is, you know, for you, what would a successful Project and process look like? And I really love that question uh, because it, it really gives a lot of insight into the thinking of the client and their expectations. And I found that it really helps us understand how to, you know, approach the project.
1: What do clients tell you when you ask them what success means to them?
0: Oh gosh. Oh, we get so, such varied responses. You know, some clients are like, Oh, you know, I, I'm really excited about design. You know, I, I want a beautiful home, but I also want to learn, you know, through the process. I want to participate. Some clients are like, Oh, we're super busy. And so we just want, you know, show us a couple of ideas and, and we'll, you know, we just want to open our eyes one day and it's done. Totally, totally. You know, some clients are are like this is our dream home and you know we've wanted to do this for so long and so you know we really want something that's going to really inspire us and be aspirational and you know things like that so it's it's what the client chooses to put under that question i think is very telling because every client probably wants everything that i just said but what they choose to put there i think really helps us to understand what's the true priority
1: i know you're already you know probably aligned on budget before you take a client in the first place what's the what's the middle line between kind of assessing okay this is a fit for us this is the right you know scope and budget and client personality versus coming out of the end of phase one with sort of a more defined understanding of what the budget's going to be. What changes in that process?
0: Yeah, this, again, another, you know, hard, hard one lesson, (laughs) you know, (laughs) trying to do too much with too little money. That is, uh, I think, a mistake every newer designer makes. And um, it's hard for you. It's hard for the client. It never ends well. And so, yes, budget is an important part of those initial conversations. I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid to broach that topic. You know, I ask the question and probably nine times out of 10, you don't get a straight answer. <laughs> right.
1: Oh, I don't know. Or we don't have one
0: or yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, we've done enough projects at this point where I say, oh, well, you know, our typical project, you know, we're usually in this kind of a range you know, our typical living room is kind of this range, that range, and I say, you know, for what you're you're describing, the size of your home, the scope of the work you're talking about, you know, you're probably looking at, and I give a really wide range. I'll say okay. you're somewhere in the in the two hundred and fifty to five hundred range, or something like that, or or you're in the seven hundred and fifty to a million range, something like that, and then I gauge the reaction, right? right. Because if if it's like horror.
1: <laughs> Right, right.
0: <laughs> then I, I, clear, I quickly see. Okay, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not sure if it's going to be the perfect fit for us, you know. And I, I sort of, I do take a little bit more time with them before deciding that they would be a right client because they're coming to us because they've seen our work, and I need to be clear that you know I can't give you that on this other budget. You know, I can do my very best for you, but you know, your expectations, you know, have to have to be realistic, too. Um, And so, you know, the way our contract is structured is uh, phase one, we we upfront take our phase one fee as a retainer, as a non-refundable retainer. And so I tell them, you're signing up just for phase one. That's all you're committing to at the very beginning. And at the end of phase one, my goal is for you to walk away if you did walk away with something of value and you're going to walk away with furniture plans, you're going to walk away with a budget, you're going to walk away with a project schedule, and you're going to walk away with design concepts. Um, Knock on wood, we haven't had anyone stop at this one, (laughs) thankfully. But, um, you know, and so by the end of phase one, we're all on the same page with the budget because we have enough information at that point to be able to put some real numbers to, to what, what we're trying to do. And so if a client asks me, you know, before we start a project, what's the, what's the budget? Like
1: what's my all in spend? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I say, you know, I can't tell you that without going through phase one, because I need to have confidence in what I'm telling you. You know, and I, I really am clear that, you know, I never tell you something that I can't stand by. And, you know, I could throw some number out there, you know, just to get you to sign. And but that that isn't how I operate. And so I think for the most part, people appreciate that, you know, that, OK, you know, she's she's not just kind of giving me some BS. You know, she's she's someone who, who actually wants to have enough information to give me a really informed answer. And uh, yeah, I found that that works quite well.
1: How does your, you, you know, you charge the, the flat fee for that conceptual phase. How does your billing shift for the remainder of the project?
0: Yeah, so we are a bit of a hybrid. So we phase, our phase one is our most defined process. And so it's, it's easier for us to, to charge that as a flat fee. Yep. And then uh, our phase two, our sourcing phase is uh, an hourly. Our phase three, uh, which is purchasing, we do charge a markup and um, a small hourly uh, fee. And uh, our phase four, which is our renovation construction management, uh, that is also um, an hourly. And then for install, depending on the project, uh, we'll either quote um, a day rate or we'll you know do it hourly. So uh, it's, it's a little bit of a hybrid.
1: What did it take to get that hybrid model right and to understand, you know, how to assign different values to the different phases of the business? Oh boy, the hard way. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) The hard way. Um, uh, Trial and error again, you know, over the years, I tried every conceivable pricing model, flat fee, 100% hourly you know, no markup and just just a, a design fee. And, you know, I spent really the first maybe four or five years in that trying to find the right thing phase. And it really was I'm not making enough money, even on, you know, quote unquote good projects. And I, I really realized this is what's working when I tried this model. Yeah, And I've been using this model for years now and have not changed it, not, not interested in changing it. It really, <laughs> really works. And it was hard to get there for me. You know, again, though, I, I think this is one of those things where it's, it's not one size fits all. You have to find something that you're comfortable with.
1: I feel like in conversations I have with designers about how you build for your work, so much of it ends up being about the alignment with how you think about the value you're delivering in that phase of the project.
0: It's so, so true. And, you know, <laughs> when you undervalue yourself enough times, it just generates such frustration. Right. You know, and for me, I reached that moment where I, I said to myself, you know what, I'm gonna lose the love I have of doing this. You know what I mean? I, I don't want to lose my joy and I don't want to let something like this stop me from pursuing my dream. And I realized that, you know, I need to, to make this work for myself. And,
1: uh, yeah, it's a hard lesson. You've said we, I know you've built a team around you. When did you start hiring and what does your team look like today? Um, so I was a one person for
0: the first uh, five years, and then I, I hired a, a part-time person for, um, for a year or so, and, um, and then I brought on my first uh, full-time employee. And right now, we are a, a team of three full-time, and then we have um, one part-time person, We've been as much as, we were at six at one point. Um, and I think for me, I, I, really, I really think like three to five um, people is, is a great size team for me and the type of business that I want because, you know, I never want to get to the point where I'm spending most of my time managing people you know, I, I want to be a designer. (laughs) Is that (laughs) what happened
1: when you kind of scaled up to six? Did you suddenly find yourself in kind of a different job?
0: Yeah, I was, I was. And, you know, there's also a lot of pressure, you know, when you, when you have people counting on you in that way. And so, you know, for me, it's, it's finding that balance with having a team that can handle the type of work that, you know, we want to be doing, with, you know, the pressures of the financial obligations of, of
1: employees. Where are you delegating to your team and what are the things that you want to hold on to as the principal for yourself?
0: Uh, so uh, we have a studio director um, who is truly the backbone of the company and hiring her and, and really having her, you know, grow and continue to grow the way that she has, has you know, benefited me personally so, so, so much because I've been able to take a lot off my plate. You know, having someone else to handle more things like, you know, client billing and installation scheduling and working with contractors, stuff like that, those are the things that I really do not (laughs) like
1: to do. Yeah.
0: And um, those are things that she loves to do. So it's a really great partnership there and, and that that's been a really wonderful change. Um, and then we have um, a junior designer who you know again just has she's been been with us for a year and has just grown by leaps and bounds and you know I, I don't care your title or the background. you know I just I want to see what you can do. and the more you show me you can do and the more you know you show that you want to do, I'll give it to you. I'll give you the chance. And, you know, she's doing things that, you know, designers who have been at a bigger firm for, you know, three or four years probably aren't doing. And, you know, that has allowed her to grow tremendously as a designer. And it's also, you know, allowed us to, to do a lot more work with a smaller team. So, so that's been really great. Uh, And then our our part-time person is so lovely and she sort of, you know, pinch hits on the design side. Um so she helps a lot with uh sourcing. Um and so sort of she steps in more once we've got concepts nailed down. And then, you know, I'll say, Oh, you know, I'm looking for, you know, um a blue performance velvet for the sofa, you know, can you get me options? So it's it's kind of like that, that sort of thing. You know, but I, I think team development for me is is so, so important. Um, you know, it's it's I I bring my team everywhere with me, I can, you know, I think it's really important for them to develop their own relationships in the industry. I I want people to know who they are, you know, if they stay with me, if they, you know, go out on their own, you know, I, I want to be preparing them for success. So, you know, as I've grown as a designer, as my, my business continues to develop, you know, that mentorship part, it is so, so important to me. And um, I want them to succeed. I, I <laughs> And it's it's something that just is so I feel it in, in my gut, in my soul. So, you know, whenever I'm thinking about what each person is doing, that's always in the back of my mind. I, I never want someone to just be sitting doing, you know, cat in the corner all day, unless they <laughs> wanted to do that. But, right. you know, I... I I prefer to, to have someone experience all phases and have, you know, exposure to, to all aspects. And I think that, you know, you, you end up a lot uh, more well-developed in the end.
1: If you're headed to High Point Market this fall, it's time to make your travel plans. Simplify that itinerary planning with the complimentary services of TravelQuest. From flights to car rentals and local accommodations, TravelQuest can definitely assist with configuring your team's market logistics all week long. Call TravelQuest at 336-434-9920 or email hpmarket at travelquestinc.com. Has the growth of those team members you have changed the way you interact with clients or changed where clients see you throughout the process?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's really interesting. Um, clients really do approach you differently when you have a team. They take you a little bit more
1: seriously. Did that shift surprise you?
0: It really did. It really, <laughs> really did. And, you know, I'll be honest, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, but I also, you know the team members, they're, they're lovely people as well. And so the clients really like interacting with them as well. And so, you know, a lot of times, you know, for the smaller things, they'll naturally go to them. So, you know, clients know that they can go to them and they'll get the right answer. And so that really helps. And so they they reserve coming to me for the bigger questions, right? And then they naturally go to my team for, the, the smaller, you know, nitty gritty questions. So it, it works really, really well. I think it really helps that um, whenever we do have a, a big client meeting or a presentation, we're all in that meeting. You know, we're all participating. I'm, you know, conducting the meeting, but they're there. And so the client is spending time with them. They're understanding that, you know, they are an integral part of the process. So I think that also helps, helps uh, develop the client relationship
1: for them. How do you create an environment that makes team members feel safe and empowered to do that?
0: It's all the little things, you know, and it's constantly, you know, having the conversations around that and, and saying, listen, you know, I want you guys to succeed. I want you to come to me if you have a goal, if, you know, I want to, I want to help you get where you want to be. But it's also, you know, the tasks that you give them you know, and, and how much oversight you're giving. So for instance, with our junior designer, you know, at first I, you know, was very, you know, active with her, you know, I'd give her tasks, task and then I'd work really closely with her. And then as I saw that she could really start to do things, you know, I stepped back and, and I, and she could see, feel that, you know, right. and I started to give her bigger tasks and not, you know, micromanage or anything. And so it develops over time, And I think it's incumbent on you as a leader to have faith in your team, to know that people are going to make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time and that's, it's okay. You know, that's part of growth. And, you know, I think, I think a lot of times people are so afraid of, of, you know, team members making mistakes and, oh my God, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I've never found that that is an issue because you communicate very well as a team. You know, we're, we're up to speed on everything that's going on. So, so there's nothing that's happening in the business that I'm like, oh God, I have no idea what's going on, (laughs) but I will say it's so fun, like on installations and stuff like that, where I I know the days that it's happening and I have no idea
1: (laughs) any of the details. And I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. You did not name your business after yourself, and I would love to know kind of how you landed on your name. What made you look to, you know, something else as sort of the right model to follow um, and what that's meant for your business as you grow?
0: When I started the company, I didn't have a clear vision of whether I wanted to just, you know, be a solo shop or have a team, but I always wanted it to be a bigger kind of idea or concept than, than just me. And so that was really the impetus to not just put my name on it. I wanted it to communicate something. Um, so before you know anything about me, it'll communicate something. And it's a little fun. It's a little cheesy. It's a little playful. But it also perfectly encapsulates like my approach to design. I am very much a melding of the right brain and left brain. You know, it's the analytical and creative. That blend is my superpower. And so I think the name is a playful way to communicate that from the start, but it's also a little fun. And so that's my kind of client, you know, someone that'll that'll look at it and say, oh, like chuckle and say, oh, that's kind of clever. You know, (laughs) that's my kind of person. And so I think that it, it delivers a little bit of a message from the very beginning.
1: The theme of this season of trade tales, or one of the themes of this season of trade tales is really about finding a sense of purpose in your work. What does that mean for you and how are you looking for meaning as you dive into a client project or as you look at the design industry at large?
0: Yeah, for me, it's, it's very clear, you know, it's creating opportunities especially for other black women in this industry being in this industry now for 11 years knowing the difficulty getting started being taken seriously acquiring clients developing relationships with brands you know i've i've been there and i understand how difficult it is and we have a real problem in the industry and it's not a short-term solution there has to be individual personal development for people to come into this industry, get that early on, and then be able to take that and grow from there. And so for me, you know, that's a lot of why I structure all of, you know, the business part. You know, I always have that in the back of my mind. And, you know, the things that I choose to be involved with outside of the business, it's all very much focused on that. And for me, that's so fulfilling. Um, you know, I, I, will do, you know, maybe once or twice a month, you know, have like a college person or a high school student or something, reach out and say, Oh, can, you know, we do a little zoom or something. And I, I love doing that, you know, because I, I tell them, you know, now, you know, someone in the industry, when you're ready, you know, me, you know, reach out. I want to help you, you know, and I think that that's so, so, so important because, you know, when, you know, being visible and and for other younger folks who look like me to see someone, you know, have some success, I think that's really important. Ultimately, that's the number one goal. So I feel really blessed that I have had opportunities to to have that kind of impact and I, I hope I can continue to have that and and if if anything have more opportunities to do that.
1: When you look back, what is the one thing you know now that you wish you had known when you jumped in?
0: Oh boy, you know, I always have the same answer and it's charge a markup. I for a few years, too many years, I was like, oh markups, no way. I'm never doing that. And I made no money for too long.
1: (laughs) Yeah. What was it that kept you from doing it? What made you think, no way, I can't do that? I
0: didn't understand that the markup is part of the design fee. I thought the markup, I said, oh gosh, you know, like, why would I charge for that product that I didn't make? You know, I was kind of thinking about it from that perspective when now I view it as it's part of the design fee, right? Right. I could not charge a markup and then all of that markup money would need to be in the design fee. Right. So I view it as a way to make the process more palatable for clients and more accessible because, you know, maybe, you know, you don't have, I don't know, $150,000 for a design fee, you know, but, you know, maybe we can charge you a, a design fee and get that money on the markup. It, it was never any about client pushback. It was purely an internal conversation that I was saying, I just don't understand it. And it wasn't until I really realized, wait a second, it's part of the design fee. <laughs> That's when it clicked. And I said, wait, that makes sense.
1: Was there client pushback when you made that shift? No,
0: absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. And you know, it's interesting, um, one of our, our best clients, we did a fabulous house for them in D.C. At the very beginning, you know, she was going over the contract and she didn't understand the markup. You know, she didn't quite understand how it worked. And I just took some time and I, I explained how it works. And I was like, higher level, I said, you know, we split the design fee as part, you know, a cash fee and part markup. And I said, you know, there's value in that from you for you as a client because you know the bulk of our markup is on to the trade products right and so you know you're gaining access to products that you wouldn't be able to otherwise and many times our trade plus markup you know if that product is available at retail it might even be less or it's comparable so it's i sort of say it like that like you know it's not that you're paying more than you would if you went to a high-end showroom, you know, and, and, and bought this, the same piece. It's that we're giving you all of the service that that showroom would have given you. And that service is part of our design process. And so, you know, we like to, to do it that way. And I say, you know, alternatively, we could do no markup and then we're going to charge you and I give them some insane (laughs) number for the, for the design fee. Right. And then they say, Oh no, 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 that makes sense. The the markup was great. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I've only had that conversation a handful of times and and it's always been, okay, get it. And, but I I will caveat that with it, it. It's the right kind of client though. Right. Because the wrong client will never get it. Ever, they're ever, looking ever. for a deal. And yeah, they're looking for a deal, and I think you have to decide as a designer if that client makes sense for you. Especially if you're getting so much at the very beginning when you're talking about the contract and stuff, and they're just so focused. That's a real red flag. I mean, <laughs> I would really think twice about about working with that person.
1: What are red flags for you? What makes you want to say no to a project today?
0: Oh boy. I think for me, a personality perspective mismatch, you know, I don't want to work with a jerk. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so, so that's why it's so important in the beginning. I want to spend some time with that person. Um, I really like to try to meet in person if possible and spend an hour with them the real purpose for that is for me to understand, like, how are they talking to me? How are they interacting? Um, If I have a team member there, how are they interacting with them? You know, you really can, like the spidey sense, you know, you can get a sense for, oh gosh, this, this person is really, you know, way too entitled, way too whatever. I don't think it's the right fit. And so for, for me, because I've had more than my fair share of the wrong kind of client. I've understood that the budget doesn't matter. It's never worth your peace of mind and, and, and your happiness in your, in your work. It just, it never is. And, you know, I, I walked away from probably one of the biggest projects of my career because of that. And it was so scary to do that. And this client just was just awful. They were just really, really unpleasant. And it was hard, but once I did it, I'm so grateful that I did.
1: (laughs) I'm so grateful. Is that a privilege of being established? Like, is there a phase at the beginning where you don't get to care about whether or not the client is a jerk? Or do you think that that's something you can prioritize from the get-go and still kind of come out the other side and make it out okay? Okay. Honestly, it's 100% a privilege
0: of having established a pipeline and referrals and and a network. Real talk, you don't have the luxury to be able to weed out people based on that. You just don't. At the beginning. At the beginning. It's part of the growing pains, I think, unless you just get really, really lucky. You know, you do what you have to do. And, you know, if I get into a position where, you know, it's like, oh, gosh, like, I, I just need a project, then, of course, I'll take that jerky person um, <laughs> to keep things afloat. But, you know, as long as I can have a choice, that that's my number one thing. Um, and then, you know, I think the second thing is if the client is very, um, they're sort of telling you how to do your job right. <laughs> from the very beginning. <laughs> And And it's like, "Oh gosh, no, this isn't gonna work. so it, it's it's very personality driven for me.
1: With your right brain meets left brain superpower, who is the ideal client for you?, oh, that's a great question. So it's interesting. I wouldn't
0: have guessed this, but our best clients are empty nesters. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes, because they are confident in themselves, they're secure, They've sort of lived life for their families, and now it's their time. And they are so open to having fun, to doing something different, to doing something that's really for them. And they really respect you as a professional. I think that they just get it. They they get my message. They get our process. They get me a little bit better. Um, I find that younger clients tend to ironically tend to be more controlling or try to be more controlling, um, you know, and, and a little bit um, less apt to, you know, trust, trust you and trust the process. Um, So I think that it, it tends to be a more of a heavy lift with the younger
1: clients. You know, you mentioned early on that you ask clients in your questionnaire, what a successful project looks like. And I love that because I end this show by asking my guests what success looks like for you. So, what is success to you? How do you define that for yourself today? I'm at that stage where it's been a lot of
0: growth and a lot of exposure, and it's figuring out what to do with that. I'm blessed with a lot of potential opportunities. And so, Success for me would be navigating this this amazing time into something that's sustainable. Success for me would be seeing my team either continue to grow with me or to go off and, and do amazing things. You know, success for me is to, you know, retain the, the joy that I get from doing this. You know, I'm one of those lucky people that get to do what they absolutely love. It's a blessing and a curse, you know, cause when I try to say, Oh, downtime, all I want to do is pick up a design uh-huh. book. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know? And so I, I want to, to retain, you know, that, that, that passion that I have. And of course, you know, a little money doesn't hurt. <laughs> Right. How do you protect that passion? It's who I surround myself with, who I choose to work with, both internally and the people that we work with outside, and the clients. Those are the drivers of your everyday experience. And if you're dealing with people that just make your daily life awful, then there's no way that you can retain that happiness and joy.
1: That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, if you'd like to keep up with the latest design industry news, more great podcasts, check out new products, or browse job openings, head on over to businessofhome.com. If you have a note for the show or a story of your own to share, I'd love to hear from you, and you can email me at businessofhome.com. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others discover the show. Tray Tales is produced by me, Caitlin Peterson, with Fred Nikolaus and Caroline Burke. This episode was edited by Caroline Burke and Michael Castaneda. Our theme music is by Kyle Scott Wilson. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again in two weeks.